It's go time. Welcome everyone to Quick Kicks here on Third Down Gamble. I'm Don Charbon, and today we have a very special guest from the uh, West Coast. J.C. Abbott of Three Down Nation has joined us today, and welcome, J.C., to the uh, podcast. It's great to be here. Thank you very much for joining us. To get started, let's find out a little bit about you. Where did you start life? I was born in, in Edmonton, uh, in Sherwood Park, actually. Uh, spent part of my childhood there, but we moved around a little bit when I was younger. Uh, spent some time in Montreal as well, and then moved back to Edmonton. But my dad, he worked for Canadian National Railway for 26 years. He had me quite late in life. And uh, eventually he got a job for a company that, that makes track work. Uh, their head office is out here in Richmond. So we moved out when I was uh, in elementary school. So I've been out here for, for most of my life, but still uh, strong connections to, to Edmonton through the family line. Uh, so strong connections, does that mean cheering for the Elks or does that go that far? It does indeed. Yeah, I was, I was born uh, with, with green and gold in, in my veins. Uh, my dad was actually born on the day of the 1956 Grey Cup, uh, which uh, Edmonton won. That was uh, the first one that Don Gaggy started for, for the history buffs out there. Uh, and my grandfather almost missed the birth because he was watching the game. So uh, it's been right from the very beginning in my family, and uh, there was no option other than to be a CFL fan for me. Well, that's that's amazing, of course, so where okay, so you started with the uh, the enjoyment of the football that you saw, but where did, where did you start? Were you a little kid, and the family was always watching the games, or what was happening there? Yeah, for me, it was I was always watching and a fan, but uh, it started, I guess, sort of in elementary school, just after I moved here, that I really started to get invested in it. I toyed with the ability uh, to to play football. Uh, when I lived in Edmonton, but uh, they were quite strict rules in terms of attendance there uh, over the summer. And we had a cabin out here, so it just wasn't in the cards for us uh, in terms of the family commitments. But when I moved out here, it was something I wanted to do. I, I signed up for for minor football, instantly fell in love with it, played it for uh, several years at the community level and then in the high school level. Uh, and that's how I really got my first taste to the game in terms of uh, you know, being a player and, and being around coaching as well, which was sort of how it blossomed afterwards is I was never going to be a very good player. I'm fairly athletically limited. And I also played offensive line at about 220 pounds. So there was no future for me in the sport of football uh, in terms of playing. But I discovered very quickly when I went into my first year of university that I just couldn't be away from it. Like I, it, it was so integral to who I was. And I started coaching um, my second year at university and I started writing about the CFL in my spare time. And through those, those avenues, I've, I've been able to uh, you know, make some connections and, and move up. And, and now I, I spend uh, most of my days covering the CFL, which is a, a dream come true for me. Who from Three Down Nation got a hold of you and said, hey, you know, we've got an opening here. We, we need some more input from you. Uh, it was sort of a, a joint effort between Justin Duncan and John Hodge. 
Uh, I was originally writing under a pseudonym. I had a, my own blog. I called it the, the Ratio Breaker, uh, mostly covering the draft, which, as you well know, is a is a fairly uh, niche market in in Canadian sports media. Because it's so niche, both Duncan Hodge, because of their passion for the draft as well, had had seen my pieces, had the question like, "Who is this guy? Uh, how does he know some of these things that he's ragging about?" Um, and so I got a, a Twitter DM uh, one day. I think it was John Hodge who talked to me first, and then he he put me in contact with with Justin Dunk. Probably August of uh, of 2019, uh, we had our first conversation on the phone. And uh, the next week, I was uh, in the press box at, at a BC Lions game. It, it really happened that quickly. Wow. Well, that's impressive. Well, that, I guess, is a story of how hard work can create benefit. Yeah, I, I, I truly could not have imagined when I, when I started that, that this was the path. It was never the explicit intention. I knew I always wanted to be around football, but I, I fully expected that to be coaching community or high school ball uh, while doing other things and just writing for my own enjoyment. I was, I was very fortunate that, uh, that someone took notice and, and then took me under their, their wing and gave me the opportunity to do all the things that I've been able to do with it. I've heard you now on their podcast and uh, you fit in quite well. Well, thank you. It's starting to come a little bit more naturally. It's a little, it was a challenge at first and of course, Dunk especially, but but Hodge as well. They're both very seasoned when it comes to that sort of thing. So I appreciate the the guidance they've provided me to get more comfortable in those environments. And it's hopefully something I'm going to do a lot more of going forward as well. The information that you bring to the podcast is huge. You've got a lot of great insight. And I think that's probably your biggest asset when you come into a situation like that is if you can provide something they don't have, you're in. Yeah, I, I think it's part of what makes me unique, perhaps, in, in the sphere of sports, and not just as a writer, but also as a, as a coach, is that I come from a different sort of perspective, I suppose, in terms of I was not a talented athlete. I was, I was sort of um, a nerd, if you will, in, in high school very interests uh, outside of football as well, but very focused on the details. And, and I have obtained a lot of knowledge because of my passion for it. And so that, that comes out when I have, you know, conversations on the podcast or in my writing, some of these niche things that were only of interest to me, I'm able to share with other people. I, it shouldn't be a niche, but it seems to be is the CFL combine. And mm the lack of coverage in previous years seems to be eroding and that the fact that we're getting more and more information. Marshall Ferguson did a great job at this year's combine. What did you think of the combine and then the coverage? I, I think it's taking massive steps in the right direction. Uh, I'll give the, the CFL kudos, especially this year. I thought one of the small things they did really well that will have a massive impact is some of these, I don't know if you call them glamour shots that they did of the players. Uh, they had all the prospects uh, and and had them with the flags and the footballs and, and the same thing they do at the NFL combine to get ready for, for draft coverage. It was really well done, real professional looking. And that's lacked in years past, I think, but it gives a, an air of authenticity and authority to, to the process when you have these professional looking 
shots of these prospects. And it makes people realize that these are real professional caliber athletes that that have bright futures ahead of them. And, and maybe you should be paying attention. But overall, I, I think it's grown quite well. Uh, and, and for me, this was my first CFL combine that I was able to attend. It was actually the first time I'd ever met Hodge and, and Dunk in person because uh, of the pandemic. And it was a wonderful experience um, for me, especially uh, some of the things around the combine, getting to know some of the people around the league and, and rub shoulders, have a have a beverage and a conversation with some people. One thing I, I hope they do better in the future is the media area on combine day for the field workouts was probably less than ideal. Uh, our view was sort of blocked and, and we didn't have the ability to go around. So for my actual viewing of the combine, I had to go back to Marshall Ferguson's broadcast and, uh, and watch all of it on video rather than get that, that full experience. Um, but the league has grown in, in leaps and bounds in terms of how the production value that it's putting into this event. The other thing that I'm seeing, and you have probably as well, is that YouTube is becoming a bigger element in the CFL production. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing, for instance, global players putting out their idea of what it means to play football and what it would be like to be on a CFL field. Yeah, I think that's an important change. I, I still think they have lots of room to grow in YouTube. But one of the critiques I've had of the, the CFL in the past is there's not enough of that video con content. And not just for the combine, I think that goes into the, the regular season as well. If you subscribe to the NFL's YouTube channel, for example, they've got highlights of every game. Then within every game, they've got highlights specific to each team. And then they've got highlight packages for key players, or if there's a, a storyline in the game, say somebody had you know, a, a record setting amount of catches or something, they'll have video of every single catch or things like that. And so even in one game, they're pumping out three or four videos that people can consume and, and see the things that they're actually interested in. For the CFL, they've, they've got some nice highlight packages for the, the games. But beyond that, if you want a highlight reel of your favorite player, you have to hope that uh, an avid fan like yourself has created one. There's not that readily accessible. And I think that's something that the CFL has to make strides to improving is getting more of those that video content out there. Is that a, a role that Genius Sports as part of CFL Ventures is going to have to step up and maybe push a little bit further? I certainly hope so. I, I'm by no means an expert on, uh, on what Genius Sports is capable of, but I know the broadcasting technologies and those sorts of things are one of their areas of expertise. Um, so I hope that's something that they're able to assist with and also just in the matter of knowing which videos are important to produce uh, in order to gain fan interest. I'm, I'm certain that Genius Sports can help with that as well. Now, we've seen in the last two to three years, obviously, the pandemic. We've had a canceled season. We've had discussions with the XFL, a four-down versus three-down debate. There's been a lot of debate, let's put it that way, <laughs> about the CFL. You now coming into this and really making your way through your career as you started. How tough is it to sort of wade through all of that? I'll say for me as a fan first, and someone who cares very passionately about the history of the Canadian game and also Canadian content, it's been incredibly challenging, especially at, at periods during the pandemic where 
the future of the CFL was very uncertain. And the idea that the XFL was going to swoop in and, and uh, change everything, you know, for me, just as someone who cares so deeply about it, you know, that, that was troublesome. It was a lot on my mind. You know, there was, there was nights I lost sleep over it. It's, I think, in a slightly better place now. But with all these debates over things like four downs and, and those sorts of rule changes, they say any publicity is good publicity. I'm not sure that's strictly speaking true because I know there's a lot of fans out there that feel the way I do. And when there's something so fundamental to the game that's being discussed or debated or, or possibly removed, I'm all for small rule changes. But when you're talking about three versus four downs, that's, that's fundamental to the game that we all love. And when the conversation is about the destruction of that constantly, it becomes difficult for fans to care like as deeply as they did. They can't invest in something if they're going to be hurt when it's taken away. And so I think some of these discussions that have happened in the offseason have been counterproductive for the CFL. They haven't been nipped in the bud uh, soon enough because they're damaging to their hardcore fan base, which at the end of the day is what makes the CFL great is there's so many people who are deeply, deeply committed to it and to its history. And that's one of the things you have to preserve. Yes, you need to get new fans and you need to attract new viewers. But if you do that at the cost of that hardcore base that has allowed you to stay around for 100 years as a game and 50 years as a league, it's not going to end well for you. I agree with you. I think that at times, whether it's by chance or by choice, Randy Ambrosi has let discussion sort of run around the table a few times before he finally stands up and says, okay, enough's enough. And I wonder if, as you indicate, maybe that's not the way to do things, that you maybe should get out in front of talking about talking mm -hmm. and get out in front of four versus three. I think Randy Ambrosi is very careful in what he says because he knows these topics are in fact on the table. When he doesn't come out and say that, we're staying at three downs. It's because four downs is being discussed. There was a vote on further discussion on it. We know that for a fact. And in fact, two franchises voted in favor of moving towards four downs. So he can't come out at that point and say it because it's happening and he doesn't want to be caught in a lie and further roasted. But just the fact that these discussions are happening, I don't think those are things that we should have been exploring to begin with because those particular rules are, are so fundamental. There's lots of things that we can explore. I'm fine with the hash marks, all those things. Four downs versus three downs, there was, there was no good that could have come out of that conversation, in my opinion. I've been championing a 34-second clock, a hard and fast 34, because leaving it to the official to decide when to blow the 20 seconds in is just not working that well, especially on third downs. Absolutely. I, we have this perception that the 20-second play clock is is hard and fast and it's not. Uh, and so often it's sometimes as long, if not longer as, as the NFL clock. I think there are amendments that could be made to that, that rule that take it out of the referee's discussion. Like you said, that could help speed up the pace of the, the game. I think it works really well in the final couple minutes. That's where the CFL has always thrived in terms of its rules, but the rest of the game I think can be tweaked in terms of how the clock is, is implemented. The CFL and the CFL 
PA are in negotiation as this contract that they've signed a few years back is coming to an end on May 14th. Lots of stuff on the table, notwithstanding certainly salaries for global players, uh, the salary cap, ratios. Where do you think that this is all going to play out? I, I don't want to put you on a spot. There's a lot of different things that are on the table. I, I think one thing that has become clear in, in the last few days is that there will be some amount of change to the ratio. Uh, how drastic that ends up being uh, remains to be seen. There appears to be appetite on both sides to get uh, naturalized Canadian status for American veterans and in exchange take a few uh, Canadian spots off the active roster. That's not a change that I necessarily support. I'm always going to fight hard for those Canadian spots. There's a way to do it where the reduction is is low enough that I'm not going to be kicking and screaming necessarily. Uh, and I hope that's the way it goes and, and probably is based on, on the parties involved. There will be a change to the ratio. I think we can say that certainly. I think there will probably be some changes to the latter half contracts. Players want incentivization or guarantees of, of some kind. I don't think it will be massive, but that's something on the table being discussed. But ultimately, on the financial side, right now, I, I don't see any major changes in terms of the salary cap. That number is not going up dramatically uh, in the near future until we get to see uh, some of the results from legalized single-game betting and, and how that uh, impacts the CFL bottom line in the future. Ontario, speaking of single-game betting, Ontario has moved quite quickly. Other provinces are... I imagine getting ready to unveil what they're going to do. There was a hope that at the beginning of this, when Kevin Waugh introduced this into the Commons, that this would be a big help to the CFL. We know that football is king in betting. Will it have that kind of impact? Will it be part of a package that's going to stabilize the revenue stream for this football league? I think there's two parts to this. Will it have an impact? Absolutely. There is going to be money coming in teams are going to benefit from it. And I think the biggest thing that's going to benefit is fan interest. We know that when fans are able to bet on things, they are more engaged in the product. And I think that'll be the biggest net positive for the CFL. And there will be some financial benefits. We're already seeing uh, sponsorship deals with, with the teams in Ontario. Um, MLSC has a deal uh, with, I think it was FanDuel. Don't quote me on that. And, and then the, uh, Ottawa Red Blacks, of course, have, have won with points bet. And we'll see probably one for every single team in the league uh, in the very near future. And that will be a nice way for, for them to up their revenue. Um, will it have the transformational impact that some of the governors think it will is the other part of, of the question in my mind. And I'm not sure it will get to that extent. They've talked about it being an avenue for massive growth. It might be, but that won't happen initially. It'll take several years for it to become a mature market and to grow in that manner. I think there's a tendency among those in CFL leadership to bet heavily on uh, this idea of like a silver bullet, right? That can solve all their problems. And, and for them, legal sports gambling is one of those silver bullets. And I think they are perhaps a tad overestimating how quickly the impact or the positive impact will happen. It'll take a few years. And in the end, it may not be the financial boon 
that some of them are expecting. It will be an increase without a doubt, but they've got dollar signs in their eyes. And I don't necessarily think they'll achieve the the pool of uh, Scrooge McDuck gold coins that they want to dive into. Years ago, then Commissioner Michael Lisko had said that the job of the CFL is to promote scarcity because you've only got 10 revenue dates. You have to maximize them. Yeah, absolutely. I think single game betting will help with that, especially when the the stuff is in stadium. Once they start to put the ability to bet on props and and single games uh, in the venues, unfortunately, that's probably not going to be possible in every single venue based on different legislation. Revenue sharing is going to be the thing that that helps with that for those teams that have more stringent regulations in their province or jurisdiction to be able to level the playing field. CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. The British Columbia Lions. They have a new owner. He is promising a lot of recommitment to the fan base there. He's got a lot of work to do. Have you seen much of anything as of yet? We did see some big strides last year. What does he need to do coming up? They've already started to make some slow, small progress. So for the first time in a number of years, the Lions hosted a a coaching clinic for for high school and community coaches um, at the facility with all their coaches. I thought that was fantastic. I was able to be in attendance for that. And they've uh, launched a, a number of smaller programs. They've been up to Kelowna for for a camp now, and, and they've got a program going on, which I think is fantastic for Indigenous youth. Uh, that's a multi, uh, multi-week multi program uh, with practices that ends in a little flag tournament uh, in partnership with uh, uh, iSpark, which is the Indigenous uh, Sport and, and Recreation uh, Council out here. So those are positive steps to what Doman is, uh, is talking about. I hope it expands even further than that. There is you know, a robust high school football scene uh, out here in, in BC that is sometimes, I would say, uh, it separates itself from the rest because it plays American rules versus Canadian rules. And then you have a, a community football infrastructure as well that, that plays Canadian rules. I hope there's outreach done to both of those avenues to, to sort of bring them tighter together, more cooperation and get the BC Lions more present uh, in in both of those arenas because I think their their presence has shrunk um, somewhat in, in the last few years um, towards the end of David Braley's t- tenure as as owner. Uh, that's not necessarily all his fault, but it, it is difficult to sort of drive that engagement uh, when you're not uh, on location. So hopefully that improves with Amar Doman. Um, one thing I will say, I, he has. Um, some proposed some programs for youth football that are tailored to a very specific niche uh, in that there's a a small league out here that plays in North Van that only has a a couple teams in it. It's, it's not part of the broader uh, VMFL umbrella, which, which plays across the province and and just so happens that uh, Mr. Doman's uh, kids play in that league. And so he's tailored some of the approach to that one uh, as a first step. 
I hope it's a first step. I've coached in that league. It's a, it's a fine organization, but I hope it goes beyond uh, just that one little niche and, and begins to spread across the province. But there's some positive signs coming with, with some of the things they're doing in the community. Another team that has to reconnect with its fan base and a team that you have some allegiance to, the Edmonton Elks, they went through a lot in 2021. They have cleaned house and brought in new people. How do you think they're doing given what they went through? <laughs> you want to talk about uh, people reconnecting with the community. Victor Kui, the, the new president in Edmonton, I think has done of a fantastic job. Um, he's so engaged. Um, he's got so many different ideas that he's bringing forward. On some level, he, he can be maybe uh, a dreamer, perhaps is the term. Uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I do hope that the, you know, some of the people in the organization can, can steer his, uh, his ambitions in the correct directions uh, all the time. But his enthusiasm and his expertise, um, the idea that someone with his background and pedigree in terms of what he did in, uh, in the MMA with, with one championship, being able to be a president uh, in the CFL, uh, that w- that's a pipe dream, right? Um, he's bringing so much acumen and he's doing it, you know, he's cashing a paycheck, but mostly he's doing it to be close to his family and to to reconnect with something he cares deeply about, which I think is one of the core aspects of the CFL is you need to have people in leadership positions who are passionate about it and who are doing it for the right reasons and aren't there because it was the best available job offer. And in in Kui's case, he's there for all the right reasons. And I think it's a really positive sign that he's engaging with fans so consistently and I expect to see the results of that when the season opens. I, I think there'll be a, a resurgence in Edmonton for sure. Elks bringing in under Chris Jones seven quarterbacks into camp. <laughs> That's going to be fascinating. It certainly is. It's going to be quite the competition in camp. We'll see if Nick Arbuckle even gets there. There are a lot of people around the league that that don't think he's going to make it to camp. I don't know why they still have him on the roster if that was the case. Certainly, it makes financial sense if he's not going to start to to cut him. Now, I I think Arbuckle can be a starter in this league, but he's not what that organization wants in terms of of a scheme fit right now, I don't think. He's more immobile, more a pocket guy. They're clearly based on the players they're bringing in, hoping for someone who can make plays outside the pocket and and move around, a more mobile guy. JT Barrett seems to be the favorite to win that job, which sort of boggles my mind because you almost never see an American from a high-level college come in and start right away. They want to give him the opportunity to do so. I think they like Taylor Cornelius better than they like Arbuckle. So we'll see how that all pans out. Some of the depth guys on that list of seven, I'm not sure will ultimately play a role that will resemble a quarterback necessarily. Last time Chris Jones was in Edmonton, he had Jordan Lynch as his third string quarterback, right? A guy who could play on special teams, run around, do the short yardage role. Uh, I think they are trying to find a guy like that who they can have as the number three QB, but is able to, to fill another roster need. So they're, they're not losing out 
on, on a special teamer, which is what you have to do. Two quarterback rule is not hard and fast. They just have to fit into your, your ratio. Otherwise, if you want to have an additional one. So if they can find someone who's going to contribute on specials or, or run the short yardage or do a wildcat package, I think that that would uh, fit nicely with what that coaching staff wants to do. And even someone like, like Mike Beaudry, the Canadian quarterback who they signed, I'm not sure he necessarily has a CFL starter type ceiling in terms of, of his ability to play quarterback in the league. But Chris Jones is a mad scientist and that kid is 6'5 and 248 pounds. And he runs, uh, you know, a four, nine 40. Is he going to give him reps at H back? Like what sorts of, of things can he do with, with a kid that size, who's got some athleticism could be interesting to see in training camp. Moving out East, where do you think the Tiger Cats are? Is there going to be a challenger for first place among the other three? I think there will, uh, it's going to be a tight competition out East. I mean, Ottawa is much improved on paper. You never are certain how that's going to gel uh, when you bring in so many new pieces, but all of a sudden they went from having, I would say almost no talent on the roster to having a lot of high quality top of the roster type guys, and they've paid for them accordingly, but they should be dramatically improved uh, next season. And then Toronto I think it's done some some really good things. I, I still don't trust their quarterback situation. I'm not sure, uh, you know, the likelihood of going to a great cup uh, with McLeod Bethel Thompson under center. He's functional enough that they're going to be a very good team and they've got plenty of, uh, of top caliber talent around him to make plays and, and get them into the playoffs. So that's going to be a three horse race, in my opinion. I'm not sure who I would pick right now. It would take some deep analysis of the roster but all of them are going to be in contention. And I'm not sure the Ticats win the East division this coming season. The, the one team I do have questions about is, is Montreal. They've got some very high, high talent guys, top end guys. And then there's, there's some holes on my, on their roster, in my opinion, and, and some issues percolating maybe behind the scenes in terms of who they want at quarterback and, and some disagreement there. I, I wonder how they can, they can progress next season uh, and whether it'll be a, a step back for them or if none of that matters and, and it's just, you know, VA throwing it up to Eugene Lewis in a, in a career year. It could go either way. And out West, Winnipeg seems to have retooled. Is there going to be a challenge from Saskatchewan, Calgary, even BC or Edmonton? I still see Winnipeg as the top team, but the question mark with them is – a, they've got some holes in terms of guys that left for the NFL that they've got to fill in the secondary, which they did very effectively last year. And I think they have the potential based on how good that scouting staff is to do it again. But that's always a question mark. Their strength has been their veteran core. The challenge with that is at some point you go from having a veteran core to having an old core. And that'll happen very suddenly. Now, will it happen next year? I still think all these guys have, have juice left in the tank, but the drop-off is going to come out at some point without us realizing it, and it's going to be very sudden uh, if they don't have people in place that can step into those roles. And when you're paying those veterans what they're currently paying them, it's difficult to have top backup behind them 
that can uh, be your insurance policy. So I, I don't think that's happening next season, but it is something to keep in our back in the back of our minds going forward in terms of when is that drop-off going to happen? Stanley Bryant's the best left tackle in football. When is he no longer that? Because it's going to go from the best left tackle in the CFL to a bottom guy very quickly because that's just what father time does. Calgary and Saskatchewan, of course, had that semifinal last year, a field goal either way, and the Stampeders are in the West final, not Saskatchewan. Do you think that could be the same sort of scenario? I, I, think, I think so. The problem with the, the West is all of these teams have significant flaws. I think BC and Edmonton will both be in, improved. Saskatchewan has some questions still along the interior of their offensive line and, and they're inexperienced at other spots. Uh, whether Kogi Fajardo can have a bit of a bounce back year, I think he can. Um, they're probably the candidate, I think, that has the best chance to unseat Winnipeg. But in Calgary, the problem is they've been so good for so long but their cycle of being able to replace guys with the next man up, I think is stalled out for the longest time for more than a decade. It was, we have a, you know, an all-star D end and an all-star receiver. They both leave for the NFL and the guys we replace in this turn into an all-star D end and all-star receiver who both leave for the NFL. And it was like that in perpetuity last year, we saw the first indications, I think of those guys not being there. And part of it is because I think specifically on the D-line, there's just less of those guys available just in general. It's a problem across the league. But Calgary's feeling the pinch in that regard. The dynasty is starting to fall, is, is how I would, I would phrase it. They're not going to be the worst team in the CFL. They're still going to be competitive. But I see them as more average. I don't think they challenge for first in the West, unless, of course, Bo Levi Mitchell can find the fountain of youth and uh, a bionic shoulder and come back to full force. And then with good quarterbacking, anything can happen. But in all likelihood, I think they're battling it out for probably the, the final playoff spot with BC and Edmonton. All things being equal, it will be the first time in three years that we've had a spring set of training camps across the league. How stoked are you for that? Oh, it's, uh, it's going to be very exciting. I'm hoping to make it up to, to BC's training camp up in Kamloops, uh, take, the, take that in for the first time uh, as, a, as a full-time person covering the CFL. Uh, I'm excited for that. But I think one of the things we haven't given, given enough attention to, or maybe credence to, is the fact not only is this the first time in, in a few years that we've had a training camp, but it's the first time we've had tryout camps in the U.S. And there's fewer of them than there have been in, in years past. The scouting staffs are, are still slashed. Part of the issue, I think, last season in terms of, you know, we were missing, the, you know, scoring was down, you know, rosters maybe weren't as talented. Part of that is they didn't have those opportunities to find those hidden gems, those guys that come out of those tryout camps and become stars. And so many of them do. So many of our top CFL players are not necessarily neglisted and signed right out of college. They come out of the woodwork at these tryout camps, shock everyone, and, and then make it onto the field. So having those back this year is going to be a bigger impact than I think anything else in terms of 
guys coming into the league, the quality of rookie play, because there's going to be some really high quality guys that, that come out of nowhere that just didn't have an opportunity last year. Where can people find and follow you? Uh, you can find me uh, mostly uh, on Twitter. If you're a fan of, of the CFL, my Instagram account is not going to excite you very much. But my Twitter account, at the JC Abbott, you can follow me there and, and then read all my stuff on, on 3 Down Nation. Thanks so much for joining us. It was a real pleasure to get a chance to talk to you. It was excellent. This is my first podcast guest appearance. So uh, I, I thank you very much for having me on. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble podcast. Audio worth watching.